We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, February 9th. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. Watch to get to today. We'll we'll talk to Bari Parker. Even as we record, we still don't know the official diagnosis, uh, but that's not going to stop me and maybe you from overreacting and possibly crying. We'll talk Charles Oakley. Uh, we de- also did a redraft of the 2014 NBA draft. You can find that up on the site at rotowire.com on the NBA page. That was a lot of fun to do yesterday. We'll kind of break that down and, and talk about uh, why we made our respective picks in that. And then we'll end with something that we've been talking about doing for a really long time, never took the time to actually do, um, and that is compiling basically a list of our all-time 
guys. And by that, we mean uh, favorite college players. At the beginning of this season, we talked about, you know, our, our favorite five or six players uh, in this current college basketball season. But it's a lot more fun to expand it, you know, back over the last decade and a half and, and take a look at some of those names. So we'll do that briefly at the end. But uh, the big news right now, and, and again, we still don't have an official diagnosis from the Bucks, but it did not look good last night uh, as Jabari Parker went down with a left knee injury. The Bucks are just calling it a sprain. Uh, Parker himself uh, apparently told a teammate, John Henson, shortly after the incident that he thought it was just a hyperextension. We'll see. A lot of speculation flying around right now, but from the looks of it, uh, Jabari Parker very well could have retorn the same ACL uh, that, that that he tore during his rookie season. If that's the case, obviously a huge setback for Parker and a huge setback for the Milwaukee Bucks franchise, one that maybe changes the course of how they play out the rest of the season. Yeah, it's it's obviously devastating, especially for the player, just because you know, he was finally just kind of silencing all the critics, myself included. Like this was uh, better than I think anyone really expected him to play this year, especially with the the added efficiency from beyond the arc. But uh, this puts the Bucks at a bit of a crossroads because now you kind of realistically, I, I I'm kind of assuming the worst here. I think realistically, you have to look at this roster and say, you know, we're probably better off just you know, taking it easy with a guy like Middleton, uh, who's back and not, not getting just really over aggressive here to try to make the playoffs and be very satisfied just ending up with, you know, maybe a top 12, maybe a top 10 pick if they, they slide a little bit because of the Parker injury. And, uh, that would set them up, you know, to add another piece to their, their young nucleus. And obviously you're worried about if, if it is the, the worst case scenario with Parker worried about how he'll come back, but, you know, part of preparing for that is getting another uh, talented young player, mm-hmm. which they would definitely be able to get if they landed a top 10 or 12 pick. Right. And the Bucks were already kind of in the middle anyway. Um, you know, they whether Jabari Parker, you know, finished the game last night or not, they were probably going to lose to Miami. I mean, they were down big when it happened. It was a game that they fell behind, you know, by 15 points in the first couple of minutes. Um, so, I mean, the Bucks, as we as we record right now, are 11th in the Eastern Conference. They're 22 and 29. So, you know, it's not like this is a situation where, you know, like for the example, like if, if you're the Atlanta Hawks and like Paul Millsap tears his ACL or you're the Detroit Pistons and Andre Drummond goes down, you know, that kind of changes the course of where you're at. But the Bucks were maybe already on the on the path to the lottery with Jabari Parker. Um, and if it is indeed something that, that causes him to miss significant time or the rest of the season – um, I think it's hard as a franchise, especially one like the Bucks that hasn't had a ton of success, you know, to to make that decision and, and you know, continue to play for the future, which is something, you know, they've been marketing for, it seems like, seven or eight years now. Uh, but it, it's hard to say that that's not really the right play, especially in this draft. You know, I mean, the difference between getting the 12th pick and, and you know, the fourth or the fifth pick could be massive for this franchise long term. And, you know, you don't want to be too negative, but if you tear the same ACL twice, I don't know if it's fair to expect Jabari Parker, whenever he would come back, to have the same ceiling that we would have talked about him having 24 hours ago. Right. I think you, I mean, it, it's it's really painful, obviously, to, to come to this conclusion, but you have to kind of look at it as a thing where, you know, if you get 
even just a starting caliber player back uh if he returns from this then then you should consider yourself lucky so you definitely have to look at it as kind of a Giannis and then who else who are going to be his running mates Mm -hmm. because I don't think you can count on Parker being the clear second guy to him anymore going forward Mm -hmm. and that that definitely complicates matters it'll it'll allow them to take best player available in the draft obviously right uh which I think they probably would have done anyways well that's the thing and again hopefully by the time you know this podcast is up we'll be looking foolish for talking about Jabari Parker having a torn ACL but you know if again that is the case like you said I, I think you you hit it right on the head there that all of a sudden you're looking for another for a number two guy rather than maybe a number three guy which is you know what they were probably going to be looking for uh in this 2017 draft so you know you can't underestimate how devastating this would be for Jabari Parker personally but it also it also would set back the timeline even more for this Bucks team that you know as little as a couple weeks ago had people saying you know they're going to be the first team to to win the east post LeBron so uh major shakeup and and one that is completely unwelcome now I mean if we if we lose Levine and Parker you know two of the most exciting young players in the league in the matter of a week uh that, that that's pretty devastating yeah, and those are two guys who, I mean, they weren't going to be in the dunk contest, but those are two guys who I think I, I would have wanted to see in the dunk right. contest if I'd been just kind of constructing that field. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that kind of speaks to how electric those guys are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other big news last night, there were a ton of games going on. We'll, we'll touch on those briefly, but probably the biggest news, maybe even bigger news than, than Jabari's injury, Charles Oakley getting not only kicked out of Madison Square Garden, but charged with three uh, three criminal charges and handcuffed on his way out. Basically, took like eight security guards uh, to get him out of there. You're probably more familiar with with Oakley, uh, at least in his semi prime as a player, than I am. I, mean, I remember Charles Oakley as a Raptor and a Rocket. You probably remember him a little bit more as a Nick. Um, I guess I didn't really know this was so much of like a brewing feud between him and Dolan and the organization. Um, but pretty bizarre video. I mean, when you have to stop a game to eject a fan and like the players are basically all just watching this happen. It was, it was kind of unreal to see it unfold. Yeah. Do you, do you have any details? Like I, all I've seen is like the video and I mean, I obviously know all mm-hmm. about Oakley's past and uh, his general reputation for being an enforcer who doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. doesn't take crap from, from anyone. Obviously you're going to get a uh, pretty swift, exit if you pick a fight with the owner of the team in the the home arena yeah uh, what what exactly went down between those two do you know so I think Oakley is like not supposed to go to MSG like I think Dolan is like I just don't want this guy here uh so Oakley just purchased his own ticket as a fan right behind Dolan and started like heckling him and nice. it was repeatedly told to stop and did not stop uh and then you know security was called to get him out of there he fought off the first couple of security people who like they sent these like you know six one guys to come like escort this six ten <laughs> like notorious like fighter out of there like i kind of felt like you're looking at security like you know people are like oh do your job get him out of there it's like you want to go up to that's, this guy and like not, uh, hey charles not... come on let's 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 get out of here like that's a little bit above their pay grade right and i think the other thing is like the crowd was like pro oakley right exactly. so, like usually when something like this happens it's like oh <laughs> very no. pro oakley. right it's like usually, oh, get this jackass out of here you know it's like the crowd is chanting oakley <laughs> right, as right. he's getting ejected so like i think that fueled it um just a weird bizarre scenario that once again highlights how much of a 
dysfunctional franchise this is on and off the court. He should start a like a GoFundMe for any kind of financial oh, yeah. repercussions, and I'm sure Knicks fans would would pick him up in a heartbeat. Yeah, I know. You know, the guys at Barstool Sports immediately published a. You know, they printed up a shirt that said "Free Oakley," and I, I checked before bed, and like the the writer for Barstool who tweeted it out had like. 900 retweets on that shirt and like people were saying like i just bought four so like i I think i think the support for oakley is is pretty strong already i'm searching him on twitter as we speak and there's a lot of free oakley (laughs) there's a lot of oakley should be the coach of the knicks so i think no matter what everybody is so down on the knicks organization and on dolan that like an ex-player can literally try to fight him and people will come to his defense um all right let's get to the 2014 redraft so this is your idea. This is something we've kind of done with a lot of drafts just for fun. We've usually not actually published them. Um, but now, but now that, but now that we're, now that we're removed from this draft, it's kind of at that sweet spot where it's still fun to do the redraft because there's potential involved. Cause like, we still don't know right. quite how good Nikola Jokic is going to be or Zach Levine or Rodney hood, but we're also far enough along that we have enough of a sample to have a good idea. Like if you want to redraft the 2016 draft, to me, that's a futile exercise. Like we just we haven't seen enough of these guys, but I think we're right at that point where we're kind of teetering between knowing what these guys are and not quite knowing their ceiling. Uh, so I guess I'll let well, you give your opening remarks. You well, first I I gave it to you as like a would you rather do this for the 2014 draft or the 2015 draft, and you said let's do the 2014 draft because there might be a little bit more to work with there. And by the time we got to pick five or six, I was like really is there really more to work with here uh so that i mean we'll we'll probably end up doing the 2015 one at some point as well uh pretty easy exercise pretty fun uh you know it's obvious at the top joel Embiid. you know i i gave you the first pick just since you were uh nice enough to to help me with this and allow me to not spend you know four or five hours really going in depth on a legitimate article and instead just doing this exercise and and counting it as a as a submission. Right. But uh yeah, I think classic corner cutting. I think it went I think it went about as expected. I think so too. And man, it this is a crappy draft after the top five or six guys. Yeah, I mean it it's crappy in that there's not a lot of stars, but like it's also, you know, you're getting good, you know, guys who you see being future starters or borderline starters for the next ten years at you know ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Like I don't think it's going to go down as a bad draft. I think it's going to be pretty strong at the top, and I, I think people also forget that Embiid is part of this draft. Mm-hmm. So you know he's talked about as a rookie, and he technically is a rookie, but you know for our purposes we included him here because obviously he was taken in twenty fourteen. So Embiid went number one. We also we did this independent of team need. Like it, it would have been too difficult to to kind of like right. look back and say like this is what this team would have done now. Like it's been long enough that like you know teams have changed so it, much that this is just purely like it was like best player available. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the the Cavs one is an ex- especially tough situation to try to get a read on like how they would have done this differently because if they take Joel Embiid, even though that would have been the best pick in hindsight, just from a talent standpoint, mm-hmm. do the T-Wolves do a Kevin Love for Joel Embiid trade? Probably right. not. Uh, so There would be a lot of revisionist history. Right. The, the, it it worked out really well for the Cavs that they took Wiggins. Uh, but this is, I mean, if we were redoing this and they had to keep the player, Embiid would be the pick mm-hmm. here. Uh, pretty easy call. Yeah, I, I think so. I think 
this would not have been an easy call in October. This would not like would you, no. you would you still have gone Jabari and Wiggins and maybe others over Embiid before we've saw him for ten games? I think in October, it's a very very obvious Wiggins one, Parker two, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I th- I think. I think if you were someone who is a staunch Embiid believer, you could argue that he would have been too, maybe. I actually might have. Honestly, in October, I might have put Zach Levine yeah. in ahead of Jabbar. I might have sure. gone Wiggins-Levine 1-2 in October. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So yeah, like, like we said, Embiid goes 1. We'll skip that. I mean, that one's kind of obvious. But you had the number 2 pick. We, we should say we went every other. So I picked the odds. You picked the even. So at number 2, you did not go with Wiggins. You did not go with Parker. You did not go with Levine. But you went with? Uh, Nikola Jokic. Uh, best player on the Denver Nuggets. He's only recently started getting starters run on that Nuggets team. He's, you know, Wiggins and Parker are obviously, you know, pre-injury Parker, at least obviously excellent offensive players. Uh, but I think Jokic is actually a better offensive player than than Wiggins or Parker. And all three of them are below average defenders. Maybe you'd say Wiggins is better than Jokic and Parker defensively at least when he's trying he can be better than both of those guys defensively but uh just the fact that he he takes so many plays off and just kind of nights off in terms of really exerting effort defensively I think you can just label all three of them as guys who are negatives on that Mm -hmm. end of the court and then if you just sort of factor in Jokic's age the fact that he is only real like Wiggins has been a high usage player now for going on two years and and it's sort of frustrating how one-dimensional he still is whereas Jokic has only recently kind of become this uh, focal point uh, of the Nuggets offense and you know his his per 36 minute numbers are are really kind of insane for for a big man he's averaging 21 and a half points 11.5 11.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists as a center per 36 minutes. And that's just it, very unique. I mean, how many how many centers can average that many assists? Uh, how many centers who are just recently kind of getting that kind of run can average that many assists? Yeah. The assists are hard. And, and it's not just the volume. It's how cool the assists are. Like, he probably has two or three of, like, the five or six best passes in the NBA this year. Like, just highlight type of plays that you just watch 10 times in a row uh really unique skill for him and he's and he's developing a, a three-point shot he, he doesn't shoot it very much from beyond the arc but he's shooting 33 percent from there on the year which is another kind of rarity uh, a, the type of thing that makes Embiid a clear-cut number one choice I think having a center like Jokic who's that kind of a passer showing this sort of aptitude as a shooter and it's not it's not just three-point shooting. He's an 82% free throw shooter, 59% from the field. You expect those numbers to all trend up as he uh, continues to get better. He won't turn 22 until later this month. So, I mean, by the time he's 25, we could be looking at a guy that's shooting 36 37% from mm-hmm. three. Uh, just a complete anchor offensively. You can run any kind of offense through him. He's... The fact that he's got that passing gene, just it just frees so much up. Uh, you can have your other big man be like a strictly defensive-minded guy. You could even pair Jokic with a guy like like Nerlens Noel or something like that, and it would be a, a fine 
fit because of what Jokic does offensively to kind of hide a guy like that that's just a, a strictly mm-hmm. uh, defensive-minded four. Yeah, so I, I don't know that I would have gone Jokic. I was a little bit surprised, um, but I think you've made a lot of good points. And, you know, I think it's between Jokic and Wiggins. And we should say we did this before. Right. We, we wrote this last night. So we did it before factoring in anything that's going on with Jabari Parker's health. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that when we get to Parker. But uh, so with Jokic off the board, I went with Wiggins. Um, and like you hinted at earlier, like this would have been – an easy, easy decision in October or mid-November, but Parker went on such a tear, you know, for about a month straight where I think a lot of people would have taken him over Andrew Wiggins, and and I probably would have been in that class on certain days. Uh, but I think it's also easy to forget that even as well as Parker played, did he ever, like, reach the level that Wiggins has been at for the last two years? It's like, it's easy to criticize I think Wiggins. He, see, well, I don't, don't want to cut you off, but, like, I would have... I'm probably at a point where I would have taken Parker here pre pre last night's injury just because like Wiggins is is a dominant one-on-one scorer but it's the way that he scores that I just don't like like he's he's very Carmelo Anthony in that like you give him the ball and he just goes to work mm-hmm. like isolation style he's very good at it but Jabari's been a you know he's got a better true shooting percentage than Wiggins this year he uh, has a lower usage rate than Wiggins this year. He can get his buckets without you just isolating him. I mean, he gets a lot of buckets off of rebounds, off of running the break. He is averaging more rebounds, more steals, more blocks than Wiggins this year while shooting 36.7% from three. Like, I would have never in a million years when those two guys were coming out thought there'd be a time when Parker was A, shooting that well from three, and B out rebounding and out <laughs> out uh, working Wiggins defensively. I mean, for Wiggins steals and blocks numbers to be as low as they are is just so incriminating. Yeah, uh, it's it's really insane. Like there, I don't know if there's ever been a player that gets his amount of minutes with his physical gifts who's been that unproductive mm-hmm. in the steals and blocks department. Right. And that that's kind of the case that I made in in the little write up in the article is that you know Wiggins has been disappointing as a playmaker you know his shooting has has gotten better I mean he's up four percentage points from three this year which I think hasn't been talked about enough the assist production has been really really bad even though I think it's hard to judge because the point guards on that team are so you know they're ball dominant they can't shoot they're they're like you know the the classic pure point guard like Wiggins isn't asked to do a ton of playmaking Mm -hmm. um he doesn't rebound as well as he should um, but, but the big thing, like you said, is defensively, he's fallen so far short of where he should be. I mean, he could be, has the physical tools to be a Kawhi Leonard level like, of defender. That's not an exaggeration. No, like that's why I loved him so much coming right. out is I thought he'd be like Scottie Pippen, Kawhi Leonard right. on, on defense. But as disappointing as he's been on D, he's still, you know, an above average defender when he puts in, you know, 50% effort. That's what makes like, the difference with Parker's like Parker right, can right. try all he wants and he's a bottom three defender at his position. Wiggins, without putting in effort or trying, is still a good defender. And, and yeah, exactly. That's the case you would make if you want to take Wiggins over Parker. Is like if that team gets playoff level good, and they're in like a, a playoff series, you would expect Wiggins' defense to raise up. You know, kind of like what yeah. we saw from like Kevin Durant last year against the Thunder or against the the Warriors, where I mean he was playing like the best defensive player in the league because he he had to. Uh, you would you would hope Wiggins would get to that level. It's just really, 
it's just tough when you you see the tools and mm-hmm. you see a guy like uh, Tom Thibodeau not be able to get that out of him more on a more consistent basis. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think the baseline for Wiggins' defense, like if he, you just have you, to think he's going to get better. And like you, Parker looks so lost. Wiggins, it just seems like maybe an effort thing. Like right. the baseline for him is much higher. The the defensive floor, I guess, is much higher than it is for Parker. Do you agree that Parker's a more efficient scorer right now? I think he's a more diverse scorer. Yeah, I, I think Wiggins. I think Wiggins will get there eventually. I mean, I, I could see Wiggins having a DeMar DeRozan type of ascent where like DeRozan was like the same for his first like six years and then all of a sudden seemed to figure it out these last couple of seasons and become an all-star. Like if Wiggins becomes a pretty, you know, a, a slightly better DeRozan on defense, like that's a pretty good return. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Parker pre-injury started learning that he could just bully a lot of guys like if you're gonna throw a true small forward on him he's just gonna back you down he's not gonna finish every time but sometimes he's gonna get the rebound and he's gonna get fouled so it's such a tough time to see this injury it's and it it really really sucks because like the Wiggins versus Parker debate is probably the biggest like this player versus this player debate since Chris Paul Darren Williams like where just every couple months you just kind of revisit like well, who who would you take now? I mean, it's just really uh, kind of a shame that we're never going to really have that debate again. Yeah, allegedly. We'll see. Um, all right, so I went Wiggins at three. You went Parker at four. We, talked we just him. talked about both of those guys. Then I went to Levine at five. And again, we did this yesterday on so Wednesday the 8th, well after the Levine announcement, even knowing that he has a torn ACL, even knowing that he's a guy who relies a lot on athleticism, I think there's still a gap between Levine and like the next tier of guys. Mm-hmm. So I went, I went Levine at five. Um, without the ACL, this would have been a no-brainer. Right. But like I said, even with the ACL, I think, I think he can come back. I mean, it, I, we, we, you hear this as almost a cliche now, but you know, ACL injuries aren't what they used to be. Like it's not as career-threatening or you know, effectiveness-threatening, I guess, as as it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and, and the point I made with Levine is that I think we might view him differently if he was in a different situation like he he could be averaging like 26 a game for the nets right now if he was not the third option in minnesota i mean he could be doing what like isaiah thomas is doing right right now yes exactly yeah like he's that good of a scorer he just kind of they all kind of take turns in minnesota uh and and isaiah thomas is the worst defender in the league and people are arguing that he should be starting the all-star game like levine's a bad defender yeah, you gotta pick a side like here. all these guys are bad defenders like we just went two three four and five and we Embiid's the only guy who's uh really a good defender and uh yeah I mean Levine I I still I think it was the, the easy pick there by you because just the upside of a guy who's that efficient at, at scoring at the two and that big I mean I just think that same thing we we just sort of said with Wiggins I think he can be a better defender it's it's Mm -hmm. more kind of an effort thing yeah I think uh, what I wrote in the write-up is that he's on the short list of guys in this league who are you know 23 or younger who you could conceivably see being a number one or a borderline number one option in a different situation Mm -hmm. like I'm not saying he could be James Harden but he's on the list of guys you could see that being possible for right Uh, all right so number six I took Rodney Hood this would have been for the Celtics Hood obviously went uh, number 23 overall originally to the Jazz. Great pick by them. I mean, that, that turned out very well. Uh, 
I was deciding between another two guard, Gary Harris here, and I just decided to go with Hood because of the size. I mean, at six eight, the defensive versatility he brings, even though he's not a he's statistically not a great defender, just that potential to be able to guard three positions is is really nice and you know he's he hasn't been as good of a shooter this year as I'd hoped you know you kind of like to see progression he kind of made a big step forward last year uh his his shooting numbers are just slightly down this year which is not what you'd like to see especially with him getting to play with a legit point guard like George Hill you'd like to see those numbers go up a little bit but mm-hmm. uh still just you know very solid I don't know what maybe like a 10 to 15 range in terms of shooting guards in the league right now I think that that's that's a pretty solid get at six in this draft yeah I I think so too I I think Hood was overlooked quite a bit around draft time because you know he was you know great great player at Mississippi State came to Duke and he was too old like that's probably the, the big thing that was knocking him is that people were just like well you know he's 23 24 whatever like how how much better can he actually get Right, exactly. And and I think you don't necessarily look at Rodney Hood as this high upside guy, but you're looking at him right now as someone who looks like he could be a, a very capable NBA starter at shooting guard for like 20 teams for the next 10 years. I mean, like, does he turn into like an Aaron Aflalo type of guy? Like, that doesn't sound all that great, but Aaron Aflalo had some pretty nice years. Oh, yeah. I mean, shooting guard's just such a crappy position that, like, Aaron Aflalo was like a no doubt top 10 guy at that position for like five or six years. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that's certainly doable. You'd like to see him. You'd like to see him get to the point where he's like a really deadly three point shooter. I think that that's, yeah. that's still maybe doable, but, uh, hasn't quite happened yet. And you'd like to see him be a bit more reliable defensively, but can't, can't be too, picky at this point no no all right so number seven uh this is where it got a little bit difficult for me um I went Clint Capella and I don't I don't feel great about it uh but I also didn't feel super strongly about the guys who are also left on the board so I I think this is one where even though we're trying to just do best player available I think there's certain teams that would easily grab Capella at seven there's other teams that would hold off and, and grab somewhere else but I think if you're a team, and I wrote this in the article, if you're a team that's built around a playmaking guard or a playmaking wing, so I don't know the Pacers or the Celtics, things like that. Like, if you have that guy and you don't need an Embiid or a Towns, Capella is the guy you want. Defensive-minded center, good screen setter, finishes at seventy-four percent around the rim. Um, you know, not a great, great defender yet, but is still super young and is really athletic. So I think those type of players are still the the you know the modern NBA center that you're looking for if you don't have one of the unicorns. Exactly. I think he's you know he's the type of guy who would pair very nicely with uh Nikola Jokic. Um just a really good complimentary piece. I don't think that there's any chance the Lakers would take him here because I think that they would be uh shooting a little bit higher in terms of offensive ceiling, but I think it it would be a pretty smart pick. Mm-hmm. Then at number eight, uh, the Kings. This is a pretty fitting pick, although I did ended up end up regretting it uh, while I was writing it up. I contemplated uh, texting you or emailing you and asking if I could actually take Aaron Gordon, but uh, <laughs> I just don't want to no, like no trade backs. This, there's no upside for me to 
pass on Aaron Gordon here because of how in the bag I am for him as a player. I mean, and, and Aaron Gordon has, I mean, his whole, I just have no idea what the magic are doing with him. I mean, there's, there's really no way of knowing how good he could be right now if he'd been like, I mean, I know this is just so cliche and we say it about a lot of players, but like if Aaron Gordon had been drafted by the Spurs, I mean, we might be talking about like a, a possible all-star at this point. Right. Any, maybe anybody but the Kings <laughs> and the Magic. Right. Like it, the fact that he's been asked to play so much small forward at this point in his career is so criminal from a developmental standpoint. Um, and I'd like to see what he'd be somewhere else. But Gary Harris has developed uh, much better than Gordon has so far. I mean, you can't really compare the two in terms of production, in terms of what they are right now. It's all kind of you're still sort of dreaming on Gordon. Gary Harris shooting 41.5% from three this year and a high percentage from the floor, 47.4%. He's bulked up a lot since college. I mean, that was kind of the big knock on him coming out of Michigan State. Originally went 19 to the Bulls in what now looks like one of the worst draft day trades over the past three or four years where the Bulls not only gave Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic in this draft to uh, the the Nuggets to, to trade up two spots to get Doug McDermott. Not great. But they also gave like a, a future second round pick i think in that deal too so like you wouldn't do just nurkic for mcdermott you obviously wouldn't do just harris for mcdermott now and you'd probably do like mcdermott for a second round pick but that's that's how bad of a trade that ended up being for the bulls uh i mean gary harris on that bulls team would be exactly kind of what they were hoping a guy like doug mcdermott would be just a guy that can stretch the floor that size, I mean, he's still not a good defender, but he's at least big enough now where he's not getting super bullied around by, by most two guards. He's a good cutter. Needs to work on finishing a little bit, but uh, at eight here, he's he's at least like a, a solid sixth or seventh man on a good team, and he can definitely start on some of the you know bottom 15 teams in the league. Yeah, for sure. So I think what you said about Aaron Gordon um, is basically what I wrote when I took him number nine. Um, for, for our purposes here, this would be the Charlotte Hornets. Um, you know, I started out by saying he's been more so than any player in this draft. He's been victimized by his situation. Um, and that's not to say that he hasn't maybe contributed to that because the numbers don't look good. Um, but like no one is calling Aaron Gordon a bust. This guy went number four overall and has not gotten any better. And he's playing a lot of minutes and just doesn't look like he's a very good NBA player. And no one's calling him a bust because he's been through such a just a ridiculous roster situation. I mean, the magic are so set on making the playoffs that they're making these short-sighted moves I mean, flipping Oladipo for Ibaka overpaying Bismack you know keeping Vucevic around like they're making all these moves at the expense of Gordon's development like they're just saying like all right well we'll, we'll do this and then we'll, we'll fit Gordon around it like you're a team like the Magic you are nowhere near contending like the best high upside option on your roster is Aaron Gordon you should be tooling around him not making him you know retool himself around your roster so you know, I wrote that no one would be shocked if in three years Aaron Gordon, whether it's in Orlando or somewhere else, is like a borderline all-star. But I also wouldn't be all that shocked if he is a Derek Williams. Don't you think? I mean, I know it's really hard to say when you're not in the, the GM's shoes, but don't you think the best thing for any general manager's career long-term, if they're just taking the long view of their career, is to kind of go the Sam Hinky route where you – don't really care or I mean you care you don't want to get fired uh 
almost never do you want to get you want to you want to leave the team in as good a shape as you can when you do get fired and then you can point up you can say like hey you know look what i built there they didn't give me a chance to like see it through now sam hinkey's a guy who's probably a desirable gm candidate for for some uh owners out there that look at what the sixers now have because of what he was able to do there whereas the the guys in orlando when they get fired they're not going to be able to point to anything as like well look at what i did you yeah. know i i I, I kept Alfred Payton as my point guard for four years, and I made Darren Gordon play small forward because I was trying to yeah. get the eight seed. Like, I mean, there's nothing to point they, to there. They started Jeff Green at shooting guard the other night, man. Like, it's things are getting weird in Orlando. I feel bad for Frank Vogel. This is it's not the least talented roster in the league by any means, but it's just the least thought out roster, maybe with the exception of Chicago. Uh, so Aaron Gordon, I mean, no one's out on Aaron Gordon yet. No one should no. be out on Aaron Gordon, but it's, he's just, his development has not been prioritized the way it should. A guy who a lot of people are out on is the guy I took at number 10. What uh, a tra- that might be the best transition in the history of this podcast. <laughs> Philadelphia 76ers picking 10, uh, Dante Exum. And he went number five to the jazz. Obviously at this point, like there are guys, there are clear like rotation guys available here and Exum isn't even a clear rotation guy at this point I mean he's he's getting minutes because of the investment the Jazz have in him but I'm still not ready to give up on him uh he's older than I thought like I I was thinking he might still be like 20 he's actually 21 going on 22 here pretty soon so that's not great uh but he's six foot six you know, I think there's still a chance he can play point guard, and if he if he can play point guard and just get better at shooting, then then you're looking at a guy who uh, would be extremely valuable. And maybe maybe it just never works works out for him. Maybe this ends up looking like a bust. But I just have no faith in the remaining players here becoming uh, above average starters on winning teams. That I was just willing to roll the dice. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think a lot of people would probably still take Exum higher than that. A couple people maybe lower, but as you start to look at the players, you know, as we get into 11 through 14 here, it's hard to argue that any one of those guys really has a higher upside than Exum, and right. we just haven't seen enough of him. And like the Jazz are so deep that like I wish we could swap out like Exum and and Peyton. Like just well, let Exum play somewhere. It would be well, yeah. I'd I'd love to see. And, and, you know, obviously Exum misses a, a full season uh, with an injury, and that, that you have to factor that in with how undeveloped he is. But, yeah, if, if Exum was playing all the games Alfred Payton's played, all the minutes, I'd love to see what he would be. And, and honestly, the best thing maybe for his development right now would be playing in the D-League, but as mm-hmm. a, a team like the Jazz who are uh, competing, that that's not really – a great option for them. Number 11. Number 11. I went with Julius Randall. Someone I was, I was pretty happy to grab him at 11. Ooh, I, I think. Nice pick. Yeah. Yeah. A guy who <laughs> went number seven overall and hasn't been a bad pick. I, I don't, I don't know what the expectations were honestly for Julius Randall. Uh, and, and I wrote that he, he should be judged on a little bit of a more lenient scale considering he played 14 minutes in his rookie year before breaking his leg. Think of all the injuries in this class. Yeah, right. Exum, Randall, Parker, and Embiid all Levine? missing, and Levine now, all missing like Capella. full seasons because of injuries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been incredible. This is only, you know, this class is what, two and a half years old. 
Um, but with Randall, I mean, he comes back for his, what was essentially his rookie season last year and has to do the Kobe Bryant, Byron Scott thing. So that's a wash. So this is really like the first year he's been able to play any semblance of the game that he likes to play. And that is having the freedom to bully on the offensive end, but also grab rebounds, get out and transition, be a passer, be a playmaker. Um, and this is a little bit of a cherry pick stat, admittedly. Uh, but you know, through 46 games as of yesterday, he's on the list, a uh, very short list of non-guards who are averaging at least 12 points, eight rebounds, and three assists. Kevin Durant, DeMarcus Cousins, Nikola Jokic, Paul Millsap, Blake Griffin, Julius Randle. Yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly right in that he is doing sort of exactly what everyone should have expected from him. Uh, the issue is like how valuable is a player who does not like a, a big man or I mean a, fo- a power forward who does not protect the rim at all and does not shoot. He's threes very generously listed at six nine. I think he's like six seven. Like a guy like you know Paul Millsap. I mean these these are guys who just are way more skilled offensively than Randall will ever will ever be. Right. Uh, I guess maybe you could say like he could develop the way Paul Millsap did because Millsap was sort of a, a late bloomer, especially in terms of, of shooting beyond the arc. I don't really see Randall ever developing that kind of a stroke. Uh, and and he kind of needs to for me to be an above average starter because he like like we said, like he, he's not bringing anything defensively, really. I like him just if, if he could shoot threes. I think he's on the short list of guys who could kind of run that Draymond type of point yes. forward role. And, and we saw the Lakers do that a little bit with him earlier this season. But again, like you can't compare him to Draymond because of what Draymond does defensively and the fact that Draymond can can hit the open three. Right. That's the thing. I, I almost wrote that, too, that he's kind of a baby Draymond. But what makes Draymond Draymond is you still have to respect the three. And he's also you know light years better top, as a defender. Like he's a top three defender. In the right. League. He's like top two. Yeah. So. Randall's nowhere near there on the defensive end. He's still undersized, but they, just having those skills are, is rare. You know, the ability to handle the ball. He's, he's a, a very, very good passer. I mean, three point seven assists per game. I was surprised. That seemed that was higher than I would have thought. Like that seems like that should be his. Per I probably 36. should have taken him over Axum, but you know, whatever. But hey, um, but hey. <laughs> so where'd you go at twelve? I went Tyler Johnson, and this is a guy that went undrafted in this draft, and then ended up picking up with the the Heat and got himself a big payday this offseason. Him and uh, a guy that ended up taking at 14 actually ended up signing the exact same deals this offseason, four for 50. Uh, seem, I mean, the, the obviously the Heat love him to give him that sort of a deal without him really proving it over, over a full season. But, uh, you know, he shoots for a good percentage from three. He plays above-average defense. He rebounds well for his position he's he's a score first combo guard which you know not my prototypical type of player that I'm that I'm looking to target but in this draft I mean he's you know on a good team he's probably like a seventh or eighth man off the bench maybe your first guard off the bench that's that's fine sure sure I think that's all fair um 13 I went Marcus Smart 
<laughs> you know, this is where it started to get. There was a lot of guys, you know. So like, you know, we, we'll give you a little spoiler alert. Fourteen is Jordan Clarkson. So guys, we left off. You know, Nick Stauskas, Alfred Payton, McDermott, Sarich was a tough one. Um, well, let's go. Let's just go from T. The J. Guys Warren. Who weren't tough one. Like uh, from the top, from the top, like yeah. fifteen. Like the who are the biggest busts from this draft? Like Payton, obviously. Uh, What's his face from Indiana? Um, uh, Indiana, like college Indiana? Oh, Vonley. Yeah, Noah yeah. Vonley, big yeah. bust. Uh, <laughs> big t- well, jury's still out. <laughs> Is he, he was starting like a couple weeks ago for okay. the Blazers due to injury, of course. But okay. yeah, he's he's still hanging around. Um, yeah, I mean there were a handful of guys that went in the lottery here that did not go in this rendition of the lottery. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of guys who went outside of the top, uh, outside of the top twenty, going going in this uh, rendition. You have Jokic, obviously went forty one, going second. You have uh, Hood, who went twenty three, going six. You have Capella, who went twenty five, going seven. You have Gary Harris, who went nineteen, going eight. You have uh, Tyler Johnson on draft, going twelve, and then you have. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, who went 46, going 14. I mean, that just sort of shows. Mm-hmm. That's that's the mark of a bad draft is when you have that many guys who went outside of the top 20 who, in retrospect, would go in the lottery because it means that the, the high pedigree guys, the guys with the measurables and the athleticism didn't pan out. So you end up you end up having to work with uh, the lesser athletes who bring uh, certain skills to the table. Yes, so... Like I said, I went I went smart at thirteen. You went Clarkson at fourteen. Smart to me, I think I think he's overvalued. Like I was shocked. I hadn't looked at his his numbers in a couple of weeks. Like he's he's shooting like thirty five percent. He's not overvalued by me. Like every time <laughs> every time in the past couple of years where people like throw his name out as like like a trade chip, like some sort of desirable asset that they could package to get a a good player. Like I'm always just like, who the hell wants Marcus Smart? Like he he's a good defender who is just awful at offense. Like, I mean, that's that's just such a hard uh, skill set to work with in today's NBA for a guard. Yeah, yeah. I love how you, you started your Jordan Clarkson right up with, I don't like Jordan Clarkson as a player. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, like, with Smart, I mean. I don't. Th- he's, he's bad. 36% <laughs> from the floor, 31% from three. And you're like, all right, maybe he's just having like a rough year. Like, no, these these numbers are better than the numbers yeah. from his first two years combined. But he's still he's trending towards five assists per game, which which is solid. I mean, he's a guy who has point guard experience in mm-hmm. college. He's a good passer. Still a really really good defender. I just like what you were looking at now is like, man, I hope this guy turns into like a Patrick Beverly, and he's not really close to that right now in the offensive. No. Yeah, I mean, maybe he can because I I never thought Beverly would become this good of a three point shooter. So I mean, it's, it's certainly possible, but I mean, Smart really just has to. I'm sure he's already doing this, but like all he should work on is three point shooting because like that's that's his ticket to another solidly sized contract is like just just put up a season where you shoot like 36 percent from three, mm-hmm. and then you can get paid as like a three and D. Uh, guard off the bench but not looking great Clarkson as you said I don't like him as a player that sort of tells you about what was available here uh I could have taken a guy like Yusuf Nurkic but it seems like that type of a center is just so 
imminently available via trade at like a next to nothing cost that it just, I don't really see the value there. Clarkson at least, you know, prior to signing that extension had a decent amount of trade value. I feel, mm-hmm. uh, he's a, a, a guard who is not a great three point shooter, uh, just 34% over his last two years, which is not good for a guard. And he averages just 3.3 assists per 36 minutes for his career. So he's not a good passer either. Doesn't really look to pass. Uh, obviously, this the situation, you know, Byron Scott last year, all these young players around him, not an ideal scenario to kind of grow. But uh, I think he sort of contributes to the, the mayhem there with, you know, he's, he's really good friends with a guy like D'Angelo Russell. I feel like those two guys underrated asset for jordan clarkson friendship good friend <laughs> i mean i don't like that like the I, best friend I, in the draft if i was the lakers like i don't want d'angelo russell to have like buddies <laughs> on this team like i want him to just focus on basketball like i feel like these guys are having maybe a little too much fun um <laughs> hot take you know right, too I, much I think fun. they're having i think they're having too much too fun. much fun in the nba like, d'angelo days. russell should be a much better player than he is right now and i just i don't know how much he's putting in um Clarkson just I don't know whatever I think we're done with this we are all right so let's get to the real meat and potatoes of the podcast uh so like I said earlier this season at the beginning of the college basketball season we did what we called my guys and those were just guys that for whatever reason rational or not you just love you're just gonna like watching them play are we gonna go one and one and one like yeah are we just okay yeah yeah so basically what we did was like all right well it's fun now but we're you know as like 20 some year olds you just you don't have like that irrational fanship that you did when you were in middle school or even in high school um so it's a lot more fun to look back it's like as much as I love watching Caleb Swanigan or Jason Tatum I don't recall their games like as fondly and nostalgically as I do watching I don't know Salim Stoudemire back in 2003 or whatever it was so basically we'll, we'll keep this quick you know this is pretty niche segment we've done a lot of niche segments this is maybe up there with the, the most this won't um, be helpful at all no it in won't like any kind of no but i do think <laughs> no I, I think it'll be helpful if you're a college basketball and a basketball junkie so you'll teach be you like what to look for well yeah i think i think a lot of people will be like oh wow i forgot about that guy or like byron eton what is he up you to? should like, you should start uh becoming uh just you should start liking these types of players, right. I think, and then you'll you'll enjoy a pattern the college basketball right. uh, watching experience a bit more. Yeah, you got to pick out your guys. Okay, so yeah, we each picked out ten, and I I have a list of like twenty five right now in front of me. So like four or five, I know I'm gonna pick, but like I'm all, I'm just gonna go live on the rest because they're all so close. So I'm just gonna have to make some tough calls. But Salim Stoudemire, Arizona, sure, far and away my favorite my favorite college basketball player of he- all time. He was one of mine too, so I won't. I won't even. All right, you, go you got Salim. Yep. All right, so we'll just go buy back to me for round two. AC Law the fourth. Um, well, let, let's just just say really quickly what, like, what about Salim's game was like your favorite part of his game? It'd be easier to say what I didn't <laughs> like about it if we want to save time. Um, okay, well, that would well, be actually hard. What, he what shot did like, you like he shot like fifty percent <laughs> from three. This is talk about a guy who's ahead of his time. Just yes. like a a guy who just man like. Would he be the best player in the NBA right now if he would like, if he came along ten years who, later? Who's to say? Who is a better prospect, Salim Stoudemire or Steph Curry? I mean, let's let's just answer that honestly. You know, uh, I mean, <laughs> Salim was a lottery pick. I do own a Salim Stoudemire Atlanta Hawks jersey. I it's not something I wear a lot for understandable reasons. But Salim shot fifty percent from three as a junior, fifty 
you know, a little bit higher, 50.3% as a senior, 52% as a junior. Like he was just a gunner and, you know, someone who I was like, wow, I wish I could shoot like that was lefty wore the cool baggy t-shirt under his jersey had like awesome like dreadlock cool slash afro like kind of like josh jackson-y type of hair yep. uh so there's a lot to like not a lot to dislike about Le- the lefty stroke man he was money. one of the prettiest lefty strokes you'll ever played see. on one of the most fun college teams that arizona team that had channing fry and hassan adams and mustafa shakur well, and the, I guess, the list goes on i guess um yeah you're you're back back to you yes for, back to you so we, we agree on Salim. that's yep. good uh, i want ac law <laughs> all right who had Basically came out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, he was a – he did. He was like a three-star recruit. Yeah. Uh, no one really knew who he was. Texas A&M wasn't really on the map as a basketball school, still really isn't. Um, but I think it was his junior – was it his junior year when he hit all those – it seemed like he was hitting a buzzer beater to win games like every other week. Okay. And for a while there, he actually kind of was. Like that was an exaggeration. Uh, had a crazy senior year, 18 points per game. Uh, five assists, shot 46% from three, took a ton of wild attempts all the time. It was just a great player. Uh, he, too, I believe, was drafted by the Hawks and flamed out similarly to, to Salim Stoudemire. But AC Law, anybody who's my age loved AC Law and probably still loves AC Law. Shout out to AC Law. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, another one of my top 10 guys, so I'll just go there next. Hassan Adams. Uh, wow. The, the great Hassan Adams. Uh one of the few Arizona Wildcat wings with the size and athleticism you look for in your typical Arizona Wildcat wing who did not go on to, to great things in the NBA. Uh, you know, a lot of that was just kind of the size of his body uh, after he graduated. He, he really, <laughs> that's one way to put he it. He really uh, added size. Um, he bulked. He did not ever really shoot the ball that well which was another thing that probably hurt him a little bit uh yeah no there's a couple of guys on my team where where size either during their playing career or after their playing career became a bit of an issue uh but yeah i mean hassan adams great great college player for for the arizona wildcats uh you know had had some swag to him that i that i really respected and you know I always look back fondly on those Arizona teams. Hassan Adams last played for the Singapore Slingers. Nice. <laughs> of the ABL. Uh, okay, so <laughs> third ABL. on my list, uh, another guy who I wouldn't say he battled weight issues because I think his weight issues made him the player that he was. Levance Fields. Nice. The great Levance Fields from Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, one of those guys who was – this was when the, the Big East was – Yep. incredible and seemed like it had like 45 teams in it but they were all great and was everybody was just beating up on each other every single night and the big east tournament was super fun and Pitt had like 45 year old dewan blair and 46 year old sam young dewan blair was an honorable mention guy for me so yeah. i mean i i have fond memories about i was more of a, a carl krauser and a, a ronald ramon guy when it came okay. to Pitt. uh but levance fields got progressively bigger every year and but just kept getting better and he was one of those guys that you're just like, this guy has absolutely no future as a pro, but wow, is he awesome at the college level. And that's, that's something that fits a lot of the guys on this list. Right. Uh, well, one of, the, one of the trends for me, at least with my guys, is me thinking they were going to be good in the NBA and me being right. completely wrong about that just because I was blinded by how much I like watching them in college. Exactly. Uh, I'll go with you know, keeping it with, with big, bigger guys. Um, Fatter guys, you might even say. Please don't say Michael Sweeney. Uh, Khalid El Amin, UConn's Khalid El Amin. You know Richard Jeffrey or uh, Richard Hamilton. 
gets a lot of credit for for those UConn teams in the the early aughts, late nineties. But Khalid El Amin, heart and soul of those teams. You know what? What was he like? Five ten. He was five like eleven. The something like that. Before Levansfield, he was the Big East's Mateen Cleves, basically, and sure. just just a winning point guard. Uh, just love love those UConn teams, and and El Amin was probably my my favorite player back then. Sure. Um, I went John Wall with my fourth submission. I this was he was a freshman at Kentucky during my senior year of high school. And I think he's probably come the closest to reaching the Stoudemire slash law stratosphere of players that I love. Like I was obsessed with watching that Kentucky team, like, because this, that was the first year of the one and dones. And like, you know, like it's, this sounds like I'm really dating myself because I'm not that old, but like highlights for these guys, like in high school were not all that readily available. And like John Wall is the first real mixtape, I guess, besides DeMar DeRozan in high school that I really remember like, memorizing and like mm-hmm. i've probably watched john wall's highlights in high school hundreds of times mostly between 2009 and 2011 um but I, w- I was so excited for him to get to kentucky and then the fact that he like immediately lived up to the hype kentucky that year debuted like kind of the new era of jerseys with like mm-hmm. uh what do you call it like kind of watermarked things on the front and the back they had wall had the two colored arm sleeve which i remember was just unbelievable at the time and i was doing everything i could to try to buy one uh can't say enough about John Wall. He was incredible. Glad that he's doing big things in the NBA now. Nice, nice pick. Uh at the end of this, I'm gonna list off some of the NBA guys that I Yeah. We'll, we'll do an honorable mention. I can't yeah. there's some guys on here who I just have to give a shout I out. I tried to them. limit mine to guys who really didn't do much in the NBA because you know It I makes wanted, it more fun. I want to like give that... these guys their their time to shine really in, on the podcast. But I but since you went with John Wall, I'll go with uh the guy remaining on my list who probably had the most success in the NBA, um, kind of a tribulant, uh, tribulant run in the NBA. Uh, Gilbert Arenas, uh, one of my favorite Arizona Wildcats, you know, came off the bench on that team. I mean, that's how loaded that that two thousand two thousand one Arizona Wildcats team was. But you know, you could see it. You could see it from day one. The the potential that that Gilbert Arenas had, given his size and his uh, just kind of swag that he carried himself with probably had the most swag on that team, which is saying an awful lot. Uh, Obviously second round pick with the Warriors, one of the better picks in, in recent draft memory, actually not that recent draft memory, I guess, but uh, you know, he, he, he was a huge deal for a while. Agent zero. uh, Hibachi. I mean, he, his, his ability to, to score one-on-one and, uh, you know, hit game winners, deep threes for to win games was was something. I mean, that was a time in the NBA where I think talent was at, you know, one of its lowest marks. I think, you know, kind of just very, very early LeBron James uh era NBA and, you know, that allowed Gilbert Arenas to shine. Yeah, I, I don't think a player like Gilbert Arenas would be allowed to play his style, <laughs> no. I guess, in today's yeah, NBA. I he, have I he saw came a, along just in time to get his style in there. I saw a, a Wizards writer last week kind of compare him to Kyrie Irving in some ways. Not necessarily the same type of game. I mean they they are somewhat similar, but just in the way that they operated and it's like you couldn't have Gilbert Arenas as your best player to win a title, but he was unbelievably fun to watch and could win you a lot of games single handedly. Like just a an amazing ISO player. Yeah. Like uh, right. You know, 
That's anything about it. anything from like 35 feet and in yeah. is like you have to be on him. But if you get that close, he's going by. You. Very weird jumper too. Like just a unique, like very straight up and down, kind of arm heavy, a little bit to the side. But the type of jumper you would uh, think would be blocked right. more, but... You know, he, he was able to, to stretch yeah. so far that he always had enough space. He wasn't as, like, shake and bake, like, smooth as Kyrie, but it, it went in. Um, this guy, absolute all-time first-teamer. Again, I think somebody, anybody who's my age will remember much more fondly as a college player and wonder how he wasn't an NBA superstar. D. Brown. Yeah. Illinois D. Brown. Um, Darren Williams was the best player on that Illinois team. James Augustine was really good. Powell was really good. Luther Head was really good. Don't ever try to tell me D. Brown wasn't the best player in college basketball for most of that season. The headband, the high socks, the undershirt. I mean, he was he was everything that I wanted to be as like a sixth grader. Yeah, I hated that team. Uh, really did. Uh, <laughs> they beat Arizona to go to the championship? To the final, the final four. four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Luther Head, Darren Williams. Yep. Hate, hate all those guys to this day. Okay. Uh, my next guy... Let's just get the last wildcat out of the sure. way. Um, we got to make this quick, actually, because yeah. I have to do another pod. Actually, I'll just I'll run down my next get my next. Six yeah, guys we, yeah, we've already talked news. at length uh, about these guys. Luke Walton. I mean, oh what what God. needs to be said? You know, great, great here. cat. Uh, Keith Langford, Kansas sure. Jayhawk. You know, one, sure. you know, Kirk Heinrich, Nick Collison, Wayne Simeon, Drew Gooden. They get all the all the love and respect, but I mean. Uh, Keith Langford was always Drew my Gooden. guy on those those, those teams. Uh, Joe Forte, North Carolina, maybe a bit before your time, but uh, yeah. kind of came in right in between the uh, the great Vince Carter, Antoine Jameson teams and the the Rashad McCants, Sean May teams. It was Joe Forte's show for a while. Loved him. Uh, you want to throw Rayshon Terry on there? Huge too? bust in the NBA, by the way. Yeah, shout uh, out David Noel, <clears throat> Rodney Carney for Memphis. Oh, Love. oh man. Love me some Rodney Carney. Definitely thought he'd be a good NBA player. Not sure why, but the last great player to wear high socks. Yeah, I, there was something about his uh, three-point shot that I liked. I don't know why. He was basically Rudy Gay. Yeah, but he was only in college. He was like a poor, a poor man's Rudy Gay. Uh, Devin Harris, Wisconsin. Um, really yeah. loved watching Devin Harris. Means a lot coming from a Gopher. Really, really rare to see a Wisconsin player with that kind of athleticism and just entertaining style of of basketball especially during that era right uh really really rare uh to see that and i loved his mm-hmm. his ability to dunk like he could dunk he was right that was a big deal um, back then for wisconsin not yeah. a lot of dunkers he could shoot threes like off the dribble like yeah. you know i mean he, he he could really do it all uh morris peterson my final guy uh michigan state loved those michigan state teams loved those michigan state jerseys back in the day uh kind of like a college version of like the old uh vancouver grizzly jerseys with like a lot going on in the the trim on the, sure. the sleeves um you know you could pick mateen cleaves you could pick any number of uh spartans from from that yep. era morris peterson though was my favorite okay so yeah i'll, I'll kind of do a similar thing run down maybe, maybe give a note or two uh james on curry not mm-hmm. jameson james on yep. the o is capitalized from oklahoma state loved him stanley robinson uh, absolute lock for this list. Probably the third name that came to mind after Stoudemire and Law. Maybe the I, – I, I don't know if this is a big leap, but probably a top three athlete in the history of college basketball in terms of just pure leaping. Um, was a great player at UConn for a couple of years, had some off-court issues. 
spent a year away, like what would have been, I think, his junior year. He went, he was from Alabama, returned to Alabama, worked at a steel mill for a year, and then decided he was ready to come back to UConn. Um, and then was, of course, awesome. And this is, again, in the heyday of the Big East when it seemed like every team had like three memorable guys, you know, your, your Devendorfs, your Paul Harris's, your Heron Godies. Uh, Adam Morrison, Gonzaga, you know, kind of a cop-out pick, but loved him. You had to pick a side in the Morrison versus Reddick year. I was team See, I didn't. Morrison. I, I picked neither side. You didn't like either of them? No. Okay, that's fair. Uh, O.J. Mayo, big-time fan Juice. of O.J. Mayo. The minute I fell in love with O.J. Mayo is when I saw the video of his final high school game where they were up one. O.J. Mayo has won six state titles because he won two when he was in middle school. I'm just going to throw that out there. Two, they're up, you know, they're winning their, what would have been his sixth state title. He's got Patrick freaking Patterson on his team after playing with Bill Walker for a couple years. Ooh, and instead, like the other team is just trying to dribble out the ball because they're down like 40. OJ Mayo sneaks up from behind, picks off, grabs it from this like poor small white kid who's just trying to get out of there, throws it off the backboard, slams it down, picks up the ball, whips it into the crowd, gets ejected as the crowd chants his name. Like no possible better way to end your career you can look this up it's on youtube still uh all right you mentioned morris peterson mateen cleaves I, I, those were guys were a little before my time shout out to mateen cleaves the ron dane of michigan state i went maurice agar big mo agar guy sure. spent some time with the mavericks never really got his nba career off the ground uh scotty hobson yeah. mostly based on name alone although those tennessee teams were kind of cool i almost included scooney pen based on name alone <laughs> scooney pen um dj white from Indiana. This is in the the real tough times for Indiana yep, basketball. Yep. DJ White was there he didn't, after the Why sanctions. didn't you name him in when we were talking about fat guys? He wasn't fat. He, he was just husky. He, he was pretty big. He was husky. He was kind of like J-O-B. Um, Johnny Flynn, Syracuse. Um, the fact that he flamed out as an NBA player so quickly kind of makes me like him. more? Yeah, that makes me like him more. He was incredible at the college level. Jarius Jackson, Texas Tech. Rashad Bacants, North Carolina. Everybody's favorite. How many guys you got? A lot. I told you, I had like twenty-five. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I have five left. Okay, fine. Julius Hodge, North Carolina State, uh, ex Buck. Sean Singletary, Virginia, great player. Probably should have been in the NBA. Tyquan Dean, Louisville. Eric Hicks, Cincinnati, and Chris Douglas Roberts from Memphis when they had those incredible Derrick Rose era vertical stripe jerseys. Uh, which I really, really loved. All right, I'll throw out my... Uh, these are the honorable mention guys I didn't include just because they were too good in the NBA. Okay. Uh, Richard Jefferson, go Cats. Okay. Andre Iguodala, go Cats. Richard Hamilton, uh, you know, a couple great game winners uh, en route to that UConn title. Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. That was my the closest I've ever been to abandoning Arizona as my favorite college basketball team was that North Carolina team. they have team. on that team? Uh, no, this was right after the Stack Sheed team. Okay, okay. It was the Vince Carter, Antoine Jamison team. I had a North Carolina uh, winter coat starter that I wore. Oof. That was that was fly. Uh, Russell Westbrook with UCLA and Draymond Green with Michigan State. Loved all those guys in college, but you know they, they're on to bigger and better things. They don't really need the love. And my favorite non-Arizona basketball team of all time, the 2000-2001 Maryland Terrapin basketball team with byron mouton juan dixon drew nicholas lonnie baxter uh steve blake chris wilcox chris wilcox yep uh, man what a team love that team yep uh, love those jerseys 
and I just couldn't really pick one. I, I would have liked to include that whole team as, as my guys, but I just I like the sum of the parts more sure. than one individual. Team guy. Love it. Um, okay, well, hopefully this conjured up some nostalgic memories of the great era of 2000 to 2010 college basketball. <laughs> if not, uh, we're sorry that you had to listen to that. Uh, hopefully we won't do this again for a while. Uh, but that'll wrap it up for us. I know you got to get out of here. DJ and the other two amigos will be back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.